Hello and welcome to My Biggest Lesson, the show that brings you the key learnings from the most influential founders, executives, and investors in the Colorado tech community. My name is Adam Burrows. And I'm Chris Erickson. Together, we are the co-founders of Range Ventures. An early stage venture firm based in Denver. You can find out more about what we're up to at range.vc. This week, we are lucky to have Nicole Gleros join us on the show. Nicole is currently the Chief Investment Strategy Officer at Techstars, where she helped grow the portfolio from 10 companies to over 2,500 and from 300K to over 750 million under management. Wow. She's been a huge part of the growth of the Colorado tech scene as an operator, mentor, investor, and just general awesome person. We loved hearing about her biggest lesson and think you will too. Hey, Nicole, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, you know, you've had an awesome entrepreneurial career here that's really mirrored a lot of the growth in the ecosystem. Would love to hear the journey uh, and how it's culminated in, in now being part of uh, Techstars. Oh, man. Let's see. I moved to Colorado in 2020, actually, in, or, uh, sorry, 2000. Um, <laughs> I've been in Colorado for over 20 years. That's insane to say. Oh, I know. It's, hard. It's, it, it, it's time just is... Uh, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I, I moved in, in uh, January of 2000. And when I, I moved here because when I was a kid, my mom took me on two cross-country camping trips and we drove across the country twice. And both times, Colorado like stood out in my memory as just a really neat place. And I, I, the hiking was amazing and the biking was amazing and the skiing was amazing. And it just was beautiful. Growing up in Florida is very different than Colorado. And so I had this like lifelong dream, childhood dream of moving to Colorado. And so when I graduated college, when I got my, after I got my master's degree, I just picked up and moved. And um, I showed up with like my U-Haul and had no idea where I was going to live. I let, I dropped my U-Haul off in Denver and I spent like a week driving around. I was like in Fort Collins and Golden and Denver and Colorado Springs. And I remember driving the hill into Boulder. I was like, wow. I'm home. <laughs> the first time you come over that hill in 36, I remember when I moved out here too. It's pr- pretty awesome. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty amazing. Actually, there's a there's a funny story too, which is I was like I want to do a hike in Boulder and I literally like drove over the hill. I stopped at a gas station and I was like if I wanted to do a hike in Boulder, what hike would I do? And the gas station attendant was like, "Well, you got to hike the Boulder Classic Sanitas." And so I was like, okay. So I found out where that was. And I went and did that hike. By the way, that hike was so hard from somebody coming from Florida. I had to stop two times and rest. I think it took me like three hours. And then when I got done, I went downtown and I had this weird craving for, first of all, I was like, my mind was blown that Sanitas was as close as it is to downtown Boulder. And um, I had this weird craving for pork chops. I don't know. And literally the first restaurant I stopped at had pork chops. And I was like, this is a magical day. I'm home. <laughs> and so so where's, I, where's, the, where's the best place? Some little known trivia. Where's the best place to get pork chops in Boulder? Okay. So it's a restaurant called Rumba that does not exist in Boulder anymore. Oh, too bad. <laughs> um, most restaurants in Boulder have changed. Uh, in fact, we just lost our iconic, the Med, um, because of COVID, which was unfortunate. But anyway, so I've been, I've been in Colorado ever since. And I've really watched Colorado sort of bloom and, and grow. And uh, when I when I first moved here, it was really still a cow town, like like lots of cowboys and lots of sort of, you know, hippie ski bum rock climbing types, which, by the way, we still have. 
but um, in terms of entrepreneurship, there wasn't a ton going on. And so it's been really fun being part, uh, I'd actually say having a pretty significant hand in the growth and development of that. So it's been a, quite a journey. Yeah. And Nicole, you know, given the role you've played in helping to grow this ecosystem, would love to hear your thoughts on how it's changed over, you know, the last 20 years and in particular, maybe the last four to five years with the acceleration we've seen. You know, it's funny. I, the first answer that came to my mind when you asked that question is when we first, when it first was getting going, there was a very small number of people that were working on the effort call it, you know, like the Bradfelds of the world that were saying, if not us, who? And just a really small, like you could count them on one hand, group of people that were working hard to try to help make this more of an entrepreneurial community and really setting the tone and the culture for how the community would grow. I think that they set the right tone and the right culture. And if you look at it today, there isn't a small handful of people. I don't even know all of the people anymore. And that isn't because I'm out of touch, which I am a little bit because of my travel schedule and stuff like that. But it's because of the sheer number of people working on the effort. And, and it's it, so, so it hit that like inflection point of growth, where you don't just have one or two or five people behind it, you have hundreds, and all of them have their own unique place in helping build the entrepreneurial ecosystem. And so that was sort of the first answer that came to my mind of how the culture has grown and spread and now it's sitting on the shoulders of hundreds of people rather than just a few small a, a few small numbers. And then the second thing is, is we've got a real capital influx that's come in. We've got a number of funds that are here, like Range is an example of that. This We don't have examples of that back in 2000. There was only one or two funds, uh, three funds actually around at the time. Now we've got what, like a, a dozen or over a dozen. And the number of startups that are here that are staying here and that are building their companies here and that are successfully fundraising here, I think is is a testament to how that community grows. And, you know, I think Brad, when I, I remember in the early days, Brad Feld used to say that this is this is a, um, a 10 year journey and the clock always starts over from the next day. And so from wherever you are, it's 10 years from here until you can see sort of the next inflection point. And so looking back 20 years, I can kind of see those stages as they were happening. And I'm like really excited for the next 10 and 20 and 30 years to see what Colorado can do. So, so are we. <laughs> and yeah. I think, you know, it's interesting to your point around laying the right foundation, a lot of uh, the collaborative nature, the give first mantra, right, that I think really uh, permeates the ecosystem, makes it so enjoyable for all of us in it and creates the right attitude. We're yeah. all super ho- hopeful, obviously, that that can continue as we get bigger and bigger, yeah. um, but optimistic that it can. It just takes a small handful of us to make sure that we are as we pull new people up into those roles that we make sure that they've got that right guidance and, and culture. So it's, it's on all of our shoulders. If it doesn't happen, it's our fault. Yeah. And Nicole, I think, you know, something as someone who's relatively new to the ecosystem coming up on two years, you know, I've met a lot of folks who have moved here from the Bay area in the last two or three years. And there seems to be a similar sort of sentiment between them. They're like, wow, we love all the other people that have moved here with us. And I think that there's been a real opting in, right, to the, the culture and the vibe that's here. And you said, I opt out of what was somewhere else and I've opted in here. And so I think you're getting a lot of continuation of that that give first and that same mentality. And that's a large part of why I think people are choosing this ecosystem. And it's really awesome to see that. Yeah, I, I can count like I can count on the number. I can count on two hands the number of friends I have that have moved from the Bay Area to here in the last 18 months, right? 
it's a lot of people coming in and they really, it's refreshing to them. But we also have to help them learn how to behave in that way so that they're not just, I mean, I love that they're bringing Bay Area energy and I love that they're bringing Bay Area resources. That's really powerful for us. But we also have to make sure that we really rope them into what makes our our um, ecosystem unique as well and, and not forget that, right? 100%. Uh, Nicole, I'd love to back up just a little bit. And how did you get go from eating that pork chop to <laughs> getting into and, and you know, becoming one of the leaders of the, the you know, growing tech ecosystem in Boulder? Oh, yeah, it's, it's kind of funny, actually. The maybe the history is when I was in college, I so I have a master's degree in sports psychology. And I remember, as I was going through my master's program, um, learning about developing a profession in sports psychology and realizing very early on, like a, a sports psychologist is going to sit with an athletic team and really help them win, right, on, on, on the mental game side. And I remember realizing one day, I was like, well, what happens when the team loses? Do you ever work again? And turns out that's pretty hard to get a job if you're working for a team and the team loses, and I didn't like somebody else being in charge of my own destiny. Like I could do everything right and still lose. And I didn't like, I didn't like that setup. The second setup I didn't like was uh, my student debt. And I realized that I was going to take, it was going to take me 20 something years to pay off my student debt, um, especially at the salary levels of, of a sports psychologist. I come from a long line of entrepreneurs and I was expressing this frustration to my dad one day and my dad was like, well, you should start a company. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. I'm going to start a company. And I did. I was in college when you're, one of the beautiful things about being young is that you don't have any idea what you're getting yourself into and you don't really know how hard things are. And you also don't have anything to lose, right? You're like, you don't have any assets. You don't have any mortgages. You don't have children. You don't have a reputation yet. Like you've got nothing to lose. And so, sure, I'll start a company, right? That makes a lot of sense. And and I did. And uh, ended up being pretty, you know, it ended up working pretty well. And like, I paid off all my, like, when I sold the business, I paid off all my student debt. And like, and it, it only took me a couple of years to do that. And it was amazing. And I was like, oh, this entrepreneurship thing, it's great. It's easy. And so I tried to do a couple more companies after that. And they both failed miserably. And at the time, I didn't know why. I do now with a lot of uh, retros, you know, retrospection, but, um, an introspection, but I didn't know why at the time. And so I thought, well, okay. And by, by the way, at that point I was broke. I was like dead broke. I had no money and I was way too proud to go home. And, um, and so I was like, gonna wait tables and sleep on sofas until I could figure out what I wanted to do next. Cause you can do that when you're 22, right? <laughs> you can't do that when you're in your forties. So, um, anyway, I found this, I found this business incubator that was in Boulder, Colorado It's called the Boulder technology incubator. And they helped entrepreneurs build successful businesses. And I was like, wow, if I could get a job there, I could kill two birds with one stone. I could learn about what to do and like what I got wrong. And I could earn a little bit of money so I could start saving so I could start my next thing. And that was sort of my thought process. And, um, they had a job off, they had a, they were posting for a VP of marketing which I applied to and I was hilariously not qualified for, like hilariously not qualified. And um, the I had to talk to a recruiter and the recruiter interviewed me. And at the end of it was like, look, you're, you're, you're really not qualified for this job. And I was like, I know, but 
I'm not going to take no for an answer from you. I'll take no for an answer from the company, but not from you. And I don't mean you any disrespect because your job is to filter people like me out, but you don't actually know what I'm capable of. And you're never going to figure that out in one interview. And so the the, pre, the CEO of the company at the time was a woman named Lou Cordova, who I'm still very close with. And uh, I stalked her and I showed up an event one day and I listened to her talk. And by the end of that event, I was like convinced that this is where I needed, like, this is where I needed to work. And um, I, I waited until the event was over, until, ever, until the long line of people that wanted to talk to her afterwards ended. And um, I pulled her aside and I said, I applied for a job and I got rejected. And I should, because I'm not qualified, but you don't know what I'm capable of. And I want to prove to you what I'm capable of, because I think that I could really do some magic for you. And, um, and I'm going to prove it. And she's like, you're cute, go away. So I showed up to the office the next day and I showed up to the office the day after that. And I showed up to the office the day after that. And she's like, oh, you're not kidding. Are you like a freak? Are you going to like pull a weapon on me or something? I'm like, no, I'm here to just prove my worth, right? And so she started letting me volunteer. And um, I started doing little things and those little things grew into bigger things. And pretty soon they gave me a job. And pretty soon I was running the the angel investor network for called C-Tech Angels and like really helped grow. We changed the name from B the Boulder Technology Incubator to C-Tech and grew up from one office to five across the state and really helped start to coalesce the entrepreneurial ecosystem in, in the front range. And I would never have been able to do that if it hadn't been for Lou. First of all, if it hadn't been for me a little bit being nutty and also um, her giving me a chance, right? And also me recognizing in her, which I didn't understand at the time, but I do now, that she was something really special and that she had an incredible potential and that she had, you know, uh, incredible throughput that could just get stuff done. And between the two of us together, we made a really great team. Again, I'm still really close friends with her. She like baked the wedding, my wedding cake. Like, it's interesting. But it was from that that I met uh, David Cohen and Bradfeld. And um, David actually pitched the idea. I was still at SeaTech, and David pitched the idea of Techstars to me. And I was like, wow, this is not dissimilar to what we're doing. It's, it, is, it is different, but it's just different enough that it's sort of taking all the problems that we have at C-Tech and turning them into real strengths in his model. And it blew my mind. I was like, wow, this guy's really smart and he's got a really good idea. And so I said to him, like, if you ever start that thing, like, let me know, right? And then there's a bunch of years in there where I traveled, my, I got married and I traveled, my husband and I went to South America. I got, I was like a first non-founder employee at a company that we sold in 12 months and ended up being like a good exit for everybody. And so there was a period of time. But when I came back from traveling, David said, hey, remember that, that thing I pitched you? I started it. Why don't you, why don't you come be a mentor while you're figuring out what you want to do next? And at that point, I knew I wanted to start another company. I just didn't know with, I didn't know what I wanted to do or with who. So I needed a little bit of space to figure that out. And David said, why don't you come be a mentor? And that will give you, it'll give you the inspiration that you need in order to figure it out. And that was in 2008. And I, he never let me leave. <laughs> so I've been at Techstars ever since. So when I joined, we had about 10 companies in the portfolio. We now have over 2,500 companies in the portfolio. That number is growing by about 500 a year. Uh, we've got about 750 million under management. When I joined, I think we had 
$250,000 under management, right? And, um, and so it's been a really fun journey for me because not only has it, it has satisfied my entrepreneur, like I, in my core, I believe and I'm an, I'm an entrepreneur. I do really well in white spaces. I do really well with gnarly problems that nobody knows how to solve. I don't do well with, with boundaries and lanes. Um, I like to grow things. I'm an executor, but also it's allowed me to lear- learn the investing side of the business as well. And I don't know if that's how I got to sort of where I am. And, and now it's, you know, today I oversee funds and deployment of capital and raising capital and strategy of, of deploying capital and all of that, that fun stuff that goes into it. Nicole, that's an incredible journey and story. And thanks for sharing that with us. And so along that journey, I imagine you've learned a bunch of different lessons, both personally and about work, but we'd love to dive into your biggest lesson. So if you could share with our listeners, what's your biggest lesson and how'd you learn it? Yeah, I was thinking about this and I was trying to boil it down. Like, what's my biggest lesson? And there's so many, but I think if I had to boil it down to one, I would say it's about the people, stupid. Like everything is about the people, everything. And inside of that, there's context. So like what you want to do and what industries you want to work on and what you want your daily task list to look like. But none of that matters. None of that matters if you aren't surrounded by great people. And if you don't become an expert in identifying great people that can help build you up and support you and be there for you when you need them, nothing like in my mind, you can have everything else in a neat little box, perfectly oriented. And if you get that part wrong, the people part wrong, you will be miserable and you will likely fail, but you will hate your life all every step of, even if you're successful financially, you will hate your life every step of the way. And when I look back at sort of the themes of my life, I didn't know I was doing that at the time, but absolutely in retrospect, that has been the things that have propelled me and my career forward, both professionally and economically and emotionally and from just a happiness perspective. I got that part really right accidentally. And so if I could tell my younger self what to focus on, I would say focus on really identifying great people with high integrity that act with intention and purpose that care about you. Um, Figure out how to identify those people. Become an expert in that. On the side, figure out everything else. Figure out what business, what industry you want to be in, what's interesting to you, how you measure it, those are, those are the byproducts. Like if you, you need that stuff for sure. But the thing that you really need to get right is identifying great people. And if you can do that part, the rest will come because they will carry you along with them on their journey and as you're learning that other stuff. So again, some of this is somewhat accidental. There is actually a journey there. So I have a background in sports psychology. But the reason I have a background in sports psychology is because when I was a ch- when I was young, I was an athlete, and I was an athlete that was on a very serious athletic career, and it ended up not working for me. And I became very curious about why. And it turns out that, like, not to turn this into a therapy session about why Nicole's athletic career didn't propel itself forward, but what I learned was that the the physical game is as important as the mental game. And it's really a mental edge that makes like, if you look at, if you look at Olympic athletes, 
What separates the gold from the silver is a 100% mental edge. They've got the same physical capabilities. And so when you really start to identify that, you understand that sports psychology is about giving people the mental edge that they need in order to be successful. And the thing that I sort of stumbled into is that entrepreneurs and athletes are wired very similarly. Very similarly. They're both competitive in nature or they have to be. They both have to think about things like team cohesion, how you get the most performance out of a team. You have to think about goal setting and, and, and KPIs. It's the same thing for athletes. If you can't run a sub four minute mile like, and you're not targeting that, you're, you'll never like be the champion, right? And so just like a business, if you're not targeting whatever your metrics are specific for your business, you'll never get there. And so uh, there's a ton of overlap between the two. And so when I started in my, when I started, at least in my investing career, I had that background, but I didn't understand that that was a strength yet. It wasn't really until I joined Techstars. And what happened with Techstars was in the early days when I was running accelerator programs, I no longer run accelerator programs, but when I was running accelerator programs, I remember one year I had over a thousand applications for my program. And I struggle at reading an application to figure out whether or not the company is any good. And so what I needed to do was meet the companies. How do you meet a thousand companies? The answer to that question is very quickly. <laughs> so I used to do 15 minute back-to-back -back meetings with companies all day long for like months at a time. What I did in that context, which looking back on makes a lot of sense, but at the time I didn't know that I was doing that, is compressing interviewing teams and starting to get a lot of comparison points in a very short period of time to what makes teams great. And I had the background from sports psychology, identifying team cohesion and execution abilities. I had that background, but it was then really starting to, to put it into practice very rapidly. So the, that's probably how I did it. it was like a lot of trial and error in a very short period of time and getting it wrong a lot, but recognizing when I was getting it wrong and being okay with that and saying, okay, I got this one wrong. Why? Why, why did I misproject this one? What, what was it? What was I thinking at the time? What did I identify? What did I miss? And so sort of being introspective about where I was wrong to try to help improve future identification of greatness, right? Nicole, I mean, could not agree or relate more to, to your lesson here. And it's something Chris and I talk a lot about, right? And optimizing for, for working with the right people. I would love to know from you, is there a time you can think about where whether it be on the investment side or or running accelerators where you identified a team or company you go i think this is going to be very successful financially can't get there on the people and i'm literally walking away from it that explicitly um so i think as an investor that is probably the hardest situation that you face because you get seduced by the business and the market and the opportunity and it becomes hard to uh you, you sort of in your brain, you like downgrade the people a little bit. But I will tell you that 100% of the times that I've done that, it's been a zero for me. 100%. And so it really makes you stop and think, okay, am I ignoring what I know to be true, which is the team might not be the right team because I'm being seduced by this thing. And, and I think even once you know that, you will still make the mistake. Like, it's really hard to walk away from one of those when you're like, oh my God, this is amazing. And really at, at the end of the day, as VCs, I think, I mean, we, look, we have a business of, of managing risk and knowing that we're going to have zeros. So sometimes I think like if the market is phenomenal 
and the opportunity is phenomenal. Those are ones that you swing for. But I will also tell you that like every time I've done it, it's been a zero. <laughs> that's uh, that's great to hear. That's why I asked the question. It's one of the toughest things that we <laughs> that we all face. What are the things, if, if you could think of a couple of things when you, you talk about optimizing for the right people, you mentioned, I think, in, integrity a couple of times. Are there a couple of things that you look for along that dimension to say, hey, this is the right team to get involved with? On the entrepreneur side? Entrepreneur or when you were looking to join a company, I mean, I think there's a consistent thread probably of great people and what attributes those those folks have. Yeah. I would say for me, a big one, one of my hot buttons for me is is trust. And, and I need to know that I can trust you to do the right thing. Not just trust you to be you, but trust you to do the right thing. And, um, and I think that's both true with startups and with people that I choose to work with. And I am, I am happy to take sort of lower, lower salary, lower economics and work closely with people I trust because I know at the end of the day, they will do the right thing for all involved. They will look for the win-win for everyone when stuff goes wrong and stuff always goes wrong, always goes wrong. And I don't want to live my life in lawsuits. And so I look for people that I can trust intimately and deeply that will do the right thing in the situation. And um, that's been a really good North uh, North Pole for me. So North Star. And and um, I would say that is true here. Like an entrepreneur that's going to come to me and tell me what's what's really broken and what's really wrong with their company, I love. Because together we can be partners in working on fixing it rather than telling me everything's great and then getting the phone call one day that says I can't meet payroll on Friday. Those are the worst, right? So I would say just trust is a big one. The other couple are execution, like how well do they execute? And I would say this is not just from a startup perspective, but also for people that I'm working with. Are you a talker or are you a doer? I want to be with doers. I'm a doer. And we need talkers in our world because talkers are the, the marketing people and they're the evangelists, right? But when I'm starting out or when the early, early stages, we need doers. And uh, there's a place for talkers. It's just not in the very, very early days. So those are a couple of the things that I look for, for sure. Execution, honesty, right? Somebody I enjoy working with. I want to know, let's go have a beer. Let's go for a hike. Let's go meet my kids and like come over and play music in my house. And like, let's have fun together because life's too short to work closely with people you don't like. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. You know, it's interesting. I, I get, there's a lot of young people. I don't know if you get this too, that uh, we talk to who are looking for the next step in their career. And they always seem to be optimizing around industry. Whenever I talk to them, Hey, I'm looking for something in sustainability. Hey, I'm looking for something in education. Hey, I'm look and, and I always tell them that's great. Right. But if you don't have the right people you're working for, to your point, the industry is not going to matter. Ideally you get both. Ideally, you get both. And it's I think it's hard. I think especially as a young person, it's probably harder to find the people than it is to find. I mean, industry is way easier to identify. Um, and so I think like I think that when you're younger, it's OK to start with industry. But inside of that industry, then really start to filter down by people you want to work with. And if this is somebody you really want to work with and somebody that you really think you can learn from and somebody that you really think you can help make them better, too, by the way. It's not just about taking, it's also about giving. So what can you do? What do you bring to the table to help that person? Then it becomes very symbiotic. But I think if you start with the people, it's harder because you don't know where to look. You're like, uh, the universe is your, op is, your, is your option pool and that's too big. 
So it's okay to narrow it down by industry, but then once you're in there, don't just take the first available thing and don't just pick based on salary or economics. You need to really get in there and go, which are the people that are going to help lift me up and carry me forward along with them? Nicole, and I think that that makes a ton of sense. I think one of the challenges though at the start is you don't really understand both the value of of good people and actually how to evaluate them until you've you've seen both the good and the bad, right? And in my experience, it takes a, a few years and a few reps of that before you understand even the beginnings of the lesson uh, that you've taken the time to share with us today. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, and I think it's okay. I think when you're learning anything new, you just have to be okay and embrace failure. The question becomes, how do you learn from it? And so making sure that you're always in a like always retrospecting what you got right and what you got wrong will help you avoid those in the future, will help you get better at it. And so I think it's okay if you don't know, if you're like, I have no idea, then pick the thing that sounds most interesting to you. Don't have analysis paralysis, like pick the thing that sounds most interesting to you and go into it saying the thing I want to learn here is, is about the people who's good, who's bad. Why do I think that? Where do I work well? Where do I not work well? Why all of those questions become, you know, do that analysis on yourself and you'll learn. And every time, every new role, every new company, every new investment, you get a little bit better and a little bit better, a little bit better. And pretty soon one day you're really great at it. Nicole, thanks. This was awesome. Really, really appreciate the time and appreciate everything you've done for the, uh, building the tech community here for the next 20 years. Uh, where can our listeners follow what you're up to? I, I do have a blog, although I'm not so active on it these days, but nearlynicole.com is my blog. I'm on Twitter at ngleros. You can email me, Nicole at techstars.com. I do reply to all emails and I'm happy to be a contributing member of the awesome Front Range ecosystem. Thanks, Nicole. Thanks, guys. 